Welcome movie fans, Dimitri Panos here for Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, where today we are living on the edge, the edge of 17 that is, and we'll be right there with you to talk about this great coming of age teen comedy. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Well, hello and welcome, everybody, uh, to another episode of Anatomy of a Movie, where today we are going to be discussing, uh, under the put under the cinemascope, The Edge of Seventeen, uh, the new uh, teen, uh, teen coming-of-age comedy uh, out in theaters now. Hopefully you've seen it. We want you to be part of the discussion. Uh, I am welcoming... Uh, a brand new member to Anatomy of a Movie. It's her first time. Uh, be kind, gentle to the wonderful Renee Ariel. Hey guys, I'm Renee, and you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Renee Ariel. There you go, and you can support me on at the Movies One Seven Zero One. And like I said, uh, we are going to talk about uh, Edge of Seventeen. Uh, this this uh, this great little indie type movie. Uh, coming of age story, and as we always talk or we always start the show is with opinions. So, Renee, what were your thoughts of uh, the Edge of Seventeen? I loved this movie. I loved how real and relatable it was. I loved the characters, the character development. I loved seeing just the different dynamics in this in this movie were incredible, and I love that we get to see. Just uh, different perspectives. Like, we originally start with Nadine's perspective, and then at the end, we kind of get everyone's perspective. And I just thought it was so well done. Had a great beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, You know, for me, it was a very smart coming-of-age teen comedy, and it never abused its R rating. Um, You know, we're going to talk about this um, a little bit down the line about its R rating and what that means to this movie as opposed to other R-rated comedies that that, that flood the marketplace. So, uh, you know, I think that writer-director Kelly Furman Craig, it's her first time uh, on the director's chair, and I think that, number one, she was fantastic. I think she respects her subject matter and hence... You know, we as the audience respect your characters. And, you know, when all of your actors, it also helps when all of your actors put in really good performances, you know, and to read off the dialogue that she had written for them. Totally. Um, I think Haley Steinfeld is nominatable. Uh, I think she was fantastic. And I'll get to why a little bit later when we start talking performance, but she was. Wonderful. Amazing. Like, she brings so much life to the character. And the way... Absolutely. She, I mean, so many lines in this movie, I felt, would have come across so differently if it was was another actress. Mm -hmm. And this movie did such a great job. It was hysterical. Yeah. In so many moments because of the delivery of the lines. Absolutely. Delivery, uh, um, um, reaction Reaction. to something. Yeah. And, you know, I think personally, too, it's a little bit too easy to say, as many critics are... That this movie is John Hughes-esque. And while I believe there are wisps of John Hughes uh, within this movie, uh, I found it more to be a little bit more Amy Heckerling, mm-hmm. uh, Cameron Crowe, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, than I did, say, Sixteen Candles. Yeah. You know, I found Nadine, Haley Stanfield, our main character, I found her to be sort of kind of like Jan- Jennifer Jason Lee's character from Fast Times. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the fact that... Not that they were both sort of kind of finding their way 
in their world. And yeah. from from just a sexual revolution to, to figuring things out about boys, about where they are and what is right for them. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also found that this movie definitely has an edge to it that, you know, I mean, it's, Breakfast Club, you can say, can be very dark. Uh, it was rated R as yeah. well. But, um, you know, this one just like, again, it just sort of kind of reminded me of like a Fast Times. And, you know, with all of the comparisons made to various other teen comedies, coming of age comedies, I think the Kelly Furman Craig managed to make a fresh teen movie yeah. with an original voice. Mm-hmm. It was funny, tender, touching, and and like I said, even edgy. Yeah. And that is fantastic. For totally. Movie this, this movie definitely stands on its own. I mean, there there when I was watching this movie, I did not think, oh, I, I didn't even compare it to any other films, to be honest. I felt that the, the storyline was so fresh because of the perspective that we had. And I felt like the conversations in this movie were like just real life conversations that you'd be having with your friends. And that's why it can get like inappropriate at, the, mm-hmm. at times because we have inappropriate conversations with our friends. Sure. And I love that it wasn't censored. And I mm-hmm. love it just it felt just so raw. It felt like I was honestly watching someone's life and all of the, the problems that could come in someone's life. Right. And, you know, we'll, let, let's talk about the R rating for, for a minute. Like I said, there there's a, you know, it, it seems that when it comes with comedy, R rating, you know, automatically means raunch. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is fine. I'm, you know, I'm all for it. Funny, I, not a problem. But in this movie, it was really not meant to be raunchy. It was meant to be real. And you know, when you're talking, uh, even the producers and the director of this movie, uh, the producer, by the way, what, the main producer was James L. Brooks, Gracie Films. You see him, I believe. Yeah, you see it every time if you're a Simpsons fan. But this guy has a career yeah. in directing and producing. And it was just really funny to see that logo come up. But again, you know, when they were talking about rating, you know, it wasn't because they wanted to be shocking R, but they they wanted the R to let everybody let it rip and be themselves yeah. as teenagers, have conversation. And it really was about it's rated R for reality. And I and, loved that. And and because I think, too, if, if they were forced to go PG-13, I think it really would have hurt the cadence of the film, like meaning the dialogue, it wouldn't just it wouldn't have rung off as being real. Exactly, that's the thing that because of this R rating, because they were allowed that freedom, that's what made it so real. That's what made it so coming of age. And I think if they went with the PG thirteen rating and they really they dialed back on some of the language, I don't think it would have been as great as it mm-hmm. was. Yeah, and and again, there's nothing raunchy really about no. this movie. I mean, they're they're. It's rated R because because of language. Mm-hmm. I, I think there was no nudity whatsoever. No, there weren't. But it was it was it was language and references to. But it's just regular dialogue. And again, Kelly Freeman Craig, she was inspired to to write this by the of her youth and watching and growing up with authentic teen films. And she even credits things like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and you know. I think that she really nails it because she wanted to start the project and get this done. And she wanted to capture a particular age and generation as truthfully as she could. And, you know, for that, I I give her credit because she did a really good job. But it wasn't a job that she did alone. Um, 
So, you know, when she was looking to shop it around, uh, she took it to James L. Brooks and, you know, showed him the first draft. And he personally, he said he he wasn't a big fan uh, initially. He wasn't going to. Oh. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't. He wasn't a fan of the first draft. However, when she left or as she was leaving, she said, she goes, look, no one is going to work harder than I am to make and get this movie done right and make it work. And that was pretty much what sold her, what sold what sold James L. Brooks on the project. Oh. And he talked to her and basically said, okay, you're going to need to go back and I want you to really do research. I, I want you to research the kids of today. I want you to to get their cadence, their dialogue. Because originally, too, the story really did focus uh, on Nadine and her best friend. In fact, I believe at the time of the first draft, uh, the movie was called Besties. Um, oh. Yeah, that was the name of the movie. And, I wouldn't want that. Yeah, well, it, it, and it focused on the their relationship. And and again, you you... It's one of those processes of, of, of filmmaking uh, that, you know, she, she, she took the criticism very positively. And, and you know, it, it, but because James L. Brooks was very positive about it and said, hey, OK, you're going to put in the time. And believe it or not, it took about four years, four years she came back. And uh, with with, you know, another draft, she fine tuned it and that script won everybody over and they said this is character driven comedy and drama and you went out and fine-tuned it and it was an amazing piece of 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 uh a film writing for them to to take on and i think that's that's great and and again the mere fact that patience you know it took four years for her to fine-tune this screenplay and to make it what not only most importantly, I think for her, she made it the movie that she really wanted it to become. But yeah. When you get support from a James L. Brooks in his production company, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, totally. You know? And I'm glad. I mean, that is a long time. But again, patience is a virtue. And it came out to be such, I would say, just like a masterpiece. I think that it came out so well. I, I would love to see what the first draft looked like. Yeah, it was apparently completely different. And... You know, even when she came back for that second draft, it was oceans away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, James L. Brooks was saying, and he goes, "I never thought it possible that there could be that great a difference between a first and second draft <laughs> because in the second draft there was a voice." And what what I find what I find the most fascinating since I have brought up uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and that was an inspiration for her as well for Kelly, is that that is how Cameron Crowe wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He actually, uh, he was a writer, he was a journalist, he wrote for like Rolling Stone and such, but he snuck into high schools and posed as a student. He went to classes, yeah. Oh my gosh. He posed as a student. He was older than (laughs) all of these, but he posed as a student, uh, and he wasn't necessarily taking notes in class, but he was taking notes about 
how the kids spoke to one another, the conversations they had, what was important in their lives. So he was probably the like time. the creepiest student in class. Like, well, like why is just, that guy staring at us? Well, it, it wasn't even that. He was like he was he was a very casual. He was a student. Did he, he like he make like friends and then and uh, mm-hmm. or did he just observe? Yeah, he, no, he 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 was like going to school in Commitment. order to write the in order to write this story and then the screenplay. That's and amazing. Amy Heckerling, another again a female. You know, a, a very solid female director, and 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 this is what I liked about Kelly as well is that she's a really good female director that knew who that voice should be mm-hmm. coming from and what that voice should sound like. Look, nothing to take away from John Hughes. John Hughes, in my opinion, was the epitome of 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 the teenage angst, and and you know he had that voice down. Pat, okay? Yeah. But when you look at a Fast Times or, or this movie, it's a different kind. This ain't 16 Candles. Yeah, no. Right? And, you know, I think a woman director uh, on this project, well, number one, I think it's just great that a woman director, the James L. Brooks and company backed her. Totally. You know, gives her, this is her first time. And she First time directing, it. you know? It's it's hard work and perseverance, yeah. and I'm really happy. So much so that you know, after this movie, I will look forward to whatever she has next. Even if she does another, even if she like does another couple of teen type comedies, yeah. I will at least be fascinated by what she as a storyteller has definitely. To say. And I think many people will feel that way after watching this movie. Yeah, they'll be excited for any upcoming project yeah. because of how great this one was. Yeah, and apparently she was wonderful to work with. Like, they just loved, she threw herself into the project and, you know, just given the opportunity. And, you know, that's a nice breath of fresh air uh, as well. And again, mm-hmm. like I said, four years uh, it took for her to to, to find this voice and to, and to whittle down the script and change the title of yeah, the movie. Yeah, this title is so much better than I think Besties. Yeah. The title, the movie... Everything about this movie really speaks to people. It spoke to me, and I'm 22 years old, but I know it would have spoken to me even as a 17-year-old. Because of just... Gosh, I cannot stress this enough. It is so relatable and real, and that is, like, Mm -hmm. the, the, the main thing that really got to me about this film. Yeah, and I felt... I felt that it was... I felt that it was real in the fact that, again, the storytelling had so much respect for the character... Uh, particularly Nadine, who, mm-hmm. pun intended, I, I think that character really walked a fine edge or ledge because there's almost a time, for me anyways, where I felt she could have been unlikable. Yeah. In doing certain, you know, it's like there were certain things that she did that were not necessarily, they're not likable actions. And she was so uh, naive, not the right word, but she went into certain things, I guess, with a certain naivete that would be like, really? You didn't expect that yeah. to happen? Particularly, she sends out this sexting thing. By accident, which totally happens, by the way. And maybe not, here's the thing, maybe not a full paragraph. However, that relatable moment, at least for me and I'm sure just my friends, when you're not meaning to, especially on a phone, especially on a touchscreen phone, when instead of deleting something, you send it. Sure. We've all done that, and it's the worst thing because what can you do? And I love that in this movie, and truly anyone that that has been in that seat feels like, well, 
this is it. This is the end of the world. Because mm-hmm. at that moment, that's how that feels. And I love how they stress that. Like, that is how it felt to that character. Sure. And we got to experience this over and over again with her. And that's why that's why it was so... That's why we, we felt with her. Because we've been there. We know that insecurity. We know feeling angry. We know how... That could be so embarrassing that mm. it feels like, what do I do next? Nothing. Yeah. And I just love how they made what could be such a small problem in someone else's life a huge thing in 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 hers. In, yeah. In a lot absolutely. Of and, and and yeah, I took it as a big problem. But here is here is my thing. Hmm. Her naivete going when the guy writes her back, and folks were talking about a text, and when she offered uh, sex. To this guy, she she said, "I want you to, to to suck on my breasts, and I want to go down on you, and this that." And the guy writes her back, and I was like, "Wow, cool! All right, uh, let's get together." I, I knew exactly where this guy was going. Like for her not to think that this particular guy was gonna like yeah, but you know. I can speak on behalf of like a seventeen year old or eighteen year old or someone that perhaps gets like a I don't know in nowadays like a, like a you up text or or something that that or Netflix and chill. There's there's a small part of your brain always a little naive part that says but maybe he just likes me because if you remember in the beginning of this long paragraph <laughs> it started off with like I think I could maybe even be in love with you or whatever and he and she thought that that's sounded absolutely crazy which it did however she thought him responding him wanting to see her him understanding meant that he understood who she was and what she meant because she did not come across when she was sending that text she wasn't like yeah and then i'm gonna invite him over later and we're just gonna have sex she was thinking this is me confessing my love to you this is what boys want to hear and so when he responded positively she thought okay he got my message not how anyone else would take that reading that message understanding okay she wants to hook up she thought he took it the way she meant for it to sound. Yeah, and to me it was like clear cut how it was meant to sound. Totally, even, I get like, what you're saying. You know, like, you like you got into the car with him and you didn't expect him to, to she try to do date, this. She wanted a date, honestly. Yeah. I, I, I get that she wanted a yeah. date, but this is where I go, like this is where I fall in, and, and this is what I think makes the movie special, is that she's trying to find her place and way within this, within finding people to hang with. I mm-hmm. mean, because there's lots going on in her life, okay? So yeah. we've got school. We've got a personal life. We've got the home life. Um, and everything was set up so smartly Yeah, from the beginning, from her having a loving father. And, th- and this was interesting. And this is where I found it to be more John Hughes-esque. If you, you know, especially 16 Candles, there's the sympathetic dad. And the dad that her father actually reminded me of the Paul Dooley dad in 16 Candles. Mm -hmm. He's sort of aloof to what's hip with kids, but yet he understands that there's pain in his daughter's heart because the bohunk and who she wants to go out with. And I felt that that, I I felt that, okay, this is going to be the sympathetic, like, father figure who may not completely understand the language, but he loves the daughter, and then he dies. I know. And I was like... Shit, okay. Yeah. Now what? Exactly. Here's the thing. I love that they didn't push it too hard of him being like, of, um, in a story of him being so sensitive and so understanding. And like, it was, again, very realistic. Like, you can have a parent that relates more to you and that sure. you bond better with, but they didn't push it. They didn't have scenes of him talking to her in her room, like, with all of this wisdom. Like, it was just very naturally natural. done. Like, to the point where you're like, nothing's gonna happen. Because you know when you watch a movie and... A character says something like, 
well, just remember, I'll always be with you. You're such a... Like, something so corny. You're right. like, well, they're going to die now, because that's what happens. Mm. In this movie, I did not see that coming, yeah. because he was just the father that she connected with, or the parent that she connected with more. Yeah, no, and 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 again, I was liking the relationship, and I was like, going, okay, this is the Paul Dooley's dad. I go, okay, now I understand why people are saying John Hughes, mm-hmm. and then, then he dies. And then, okay, who is going to be the sympathetic adult? Now, it wasn't Kira Sedgwick... Uh, the mom necessarily because the mom has her own things going on in life, Mona. And again, Kira Cedric's performance was fantastic. So good. She and again, dealing with the death of her husband, she's gotta take care of now two teenagers on her own, keep a life. You understood through performance and the writing her trials and tribulations that she had to go to, they made it real. They didn't make it cartoonish or buffoonish. You know, when, when she got angry, like there was a reason for her like being angry and there was a lot building up. So Mona is not going to be the sympathetic adult. No, she was, they nailed the dismissive parent right? because whenever I loved how they did this, whenever Nadine had a problem, for instance, when she calls her mom to pick her up from the party she gets in the car. She's clearly upset. And the mom completely dismisses whatever is going on with Nadine and starts talking about her own problems. Right. They nailed that. And it continued throughout the movie. It wasn't that all of a sudden she had this, like, change. Or it, it was just, it was, um, it was just, it flowed very Absolutely. terribly. But ni- very nicely, but, like, terrible for the yeah, mother and, and, through the and, whole movie. And, 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 again, I didn't get that the mother didn't love her daughter. Oh, no. I just believe that the mother had her own, she, she, she just had her own own issues dealing with and and it was sort of hard being a woman you know of of that age and whatnot and trying to take care of things so but our sympathetic adult ends up being woody harrelson and you know honestly i gotta tell you woody harrelson as mr bruner again another great performance i know and just when i was done watching the movie i kept on thinking back of woody harrelson's career and I was so happy he took this role because he's not he's not in a ton of like comedies, mm-hmm. so to speak. And this is a guy, uh, if you ever watched Cheers, I, I do recommend it's one of the smart I believe that's a James L. Brooks show, one of the smartest written sitcoms ever to be on TV. And Woody Harrelson's performance is masterful. It's just fantastic. And the roles he's taken as as movies, whether he's playing Larry Flint or whether he's in True Detective and he's fantastic at that, or whether he takes a Hunger Games, which you know he, he's fine in it, but you know he's taking a payday. And for him to do this movie, again, he was so busy. He was out promoting over Europe Hunger Games. And the only what, what brought him, he's good friends with James L. Brooks, he saw that draft, the the, the good draft, and mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, okay, I'm in. What do you need me for to do? Like, this is a really smart script. Yeah. And his dialogue with Nadine just made the movie, and it reminded me of what a brilliant actor Woody Harrelson has been. And from mm-hmm. a comedic standpoint, that he could do it, and that Haley Stein- Steinfeld... She was a brilliant actress oh, for the both of them amazing. to go back and forth it together. It was wonderful to watch on screen. Again, another character that they didn't push too hard on us. I loved that. I love that they didn't push so hard for the audience to be like, like him, like him. Like, he's going to spread, like give all this wisdom out to, to little Nadine. Like, it was just such 
a lovely dynamic to watch. It was funny, <laughs> but he cared. And it was something that didn't just need to be like verbalized all the time. Agreed. It just showed that he cared. And agreed. And again, what, what, what breaks that down is that opening scene where she comes oh, in yeah. and goes... Here, read this. I'm going to kill myself <laughs> yeah. today or whatever. And, he's, and he was just like sitting there minding his own business. He goes, well, it's so nice of you to come in. He goes, you know, I too was working on my suicide note because I've actually had enough of this. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can tell right there. Well, he's not necessarily going to give the sympathetic ear. But when she blasts him and like she comes down hard on him. As being lonely, uh, you're going to die alone, you're a teacher, you make $45,000 a year, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, what? Say something. And his response was, I think that's the first, he goes, that's the first time, like, you underestimated my $45,000 a year. Yeah. That's like the best line ever. I know. He was able to deflect her anger, Mm -hmm. bring her down. Exactly. He knew how to talk to Nadine. But, like. It's just an example of, uh, this is a perfect example, though, how this movie is so, um, in. we're in Nadine's head, because we are seeing how she views things. For instance, she thinks that he's alone, and that he doesn't have love. So the audience, because this is all we've gotten, we're like, well, maybe he is alone. We don't really, we don't really question it. We're like, she's probably right. He's alone. But he is a loving wife. We think that the brother's super into himself, and he's not we think right. like i love how they did that where we as the audience believe everything nadine's saying because that's what we were kind of given from the beginning yeah and as the movie goes on we're like wait a second i don't think she's right though yeah and 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 again i, I call it uh movie sleight of hand because it wasn't just what she said it was also how the actors uh acted how, how the how the actors portrayed the characters because woody harrelson was sort of dry he he you could tell he he was a good teacher but maybe he just didn't have a lot of it in him anymore um like there was never there was like he never said Nadine you're wrong it, you know he never said you know the only thing he said she was wrong about was underestimating uh, his pay yeah so but other than that you just never got the sense from him that if he was alone you wouldn't have been like totally surprised same thing with the brother like I think that, and again, that kid's performance, um, so uh, Jenner. Um, oh, uh, uh, his name say, is Blake Jenner. Blake Jenner. He was incredible. Uh, who was in uh, uh, Everybody Wants Some. Uh, uh, he, this is his second movie, whose title is taken from a, a popular song. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, he was really solid as well, and you can believe that. You know, he yes, it's set up from the beginning. He has all the luck. He's he's you know he's the popular guy at school. He's gonna get the best looking woman. He's the you know everything always goes his way. Mom loves him best. I had dad. He passed away, but then we don't see we don't like you said through her eyes. We don't see that he actually is in a sense the patriarch of the family. Yeah. He's the person that's gotta pull up. You know, he's gotta take the slack for the mom. And the sister. I know. And the thing is, the the whole what we were getting from the beginning where maybe we were agreeing, oh, he's really into himself, he's perfect, he gets all the luck, is yes, with his performance of him kind of keeping a straight face, not showing he doesn't really care as far as we can see. But again, 
that's a character we know. That's a character in our life somewhere right. that maybe doesn't show emotion all the right. time. That that takes a lot for him to show emotion that maybe we don't understand until we're closer to them. Right. Which that's what we we learned so much about him in I mean the the moment we really learned about him was it was in a very it was in a short monologue at the yeah, end of the movie. Absolutely. And it was like, oh my gosh, I understand everything about him because mm-hmm. of how well they did that. Yeah, I absolutely. I agreed. And the other thing is is that these characters the supporting cast, none of them had arcs. They were who they were. We just learned about it. It was through Nadine's story arc exactly. and character arc that because the whole thing, it is a coming of age and she came to an awakening. She, by the end of the movie, she is a different person than how she starts the movie. And she's has a better understanding of those around her, but more importantly, she has, she comes up with a better understanding of self mm-hmm. and who she is and who she fits with and that yes she can keep her best friend uh you know and she could have a brother and and now she's because she, her eyes are wide open a little her eyes are open a little more and yeah. and that's what i really appreciate because those characters they're supporting they don't necessarily need arcs but at, the story moves along we learn about those characters, but that's who they always were. Yeah, well, that's and the thing. It was great. Her revelation. Nice reveals. Yeah, definitely. Like her revelation with the brother was was finally like, oh my gosh, he does care about me. He does love me. He is <clears> there <throat> for me. And that revelation, I think, really helped her realize that she she can be more open. She can be less. Um, <laughs> kind of negative towards everyone else because the thing is when we're not happy with ourselves when we feel like people don't love us when we're feeling bad about ourselves and who we are Mm -hmm. that makes us very negative to the people around us so I think what we really like saw at the end was because of the brother like showing that he cares about her that he's there for her that um, she realized oh I why am I doing this? And it made her have all these other revelations with the best friend. Maybe I should be more accepting to my best friend. My brother does love me. This isn't the enemy. This isn't the worst thing that could happen. Right. And life goes on. Yep. And I mean, even though she was fine for those few minutes we saw at the end of the film, there's going to be more problems. As yeah, we perhaps. See. But but we know at least for now that she's at least on a better path. Yeah. And and again, that scene, uh, the scene that we we're talking about where the brother makes his revelation and sort of kind of dresses her down and says, oh, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. I've done nothing. I only, I only temper mom down. I only take care of all these problems. I've only done this. But you're right. I get every, everything goes my way because like I wasn't supposed to be doing anything tonight, but here I am. I got to take care of mom, and now I got to take care of you. And what I loved about this whole scene too was that it took place because j- just moments after we see the reveal of Woody Harrelson's teacher when he opens up the door and there's a baby and she's like what w- wait what's this mm-hmm. you know and and again it was a really nice reveal and then the brother comes to pick her up uh she says get away you know but the brother again in his patriarchal way in taking care of his sister goes to the teacher goes could you make sure she gets home please yeah and he's like not a problem which leads to another great scene where they he's driving her home, gets into the front of the house. He goes, well, do I really need to say the words? And in any other type of movie, you might have gotten something syrupy. And he goes, get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goes, get the fuck out of the car. And again, <laughs> it was the way it was delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was great. It just yeah. it went in places that a lot 
today, a lot of these movies don't, don't. go into. I completely so, agree. Um, so let's talk. I want to talk. We'll talk casting, uh, particularly casting Nadine, which they saw over a thousand girls to 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 oh to gosh. get her, and and they read from knowns to unknowns, and we weren't going to make the movie unless they found the right actress, which ended up being Haley. Yeah, she did walked they ever? In. Yeah, and. She walked in, and it was important to find the right person, or else they didn't have a movie. And and I agree, totally, hundred percent that this movie rests on whatever actress they chose. It was her. It, it rests because if you don't buy it, a she can become unlikable. If this character is unlikable, then it's hard watching the rest of the movie because it is really square on this character's shoulders. You need to root for her 100%. You You need to root for her. I believe that she's nominatable because, well, number one, they don't, they should take movies like this more seriously at the Academy. This ain't a piece of high art. However, it is an art form. It is independent. It has a voice. It has a voice. It has an R-rated voice which in today's in today's cinema a lot of a lot of these teen comedies don't have that voice okay and they're characters that we can root for um you know this isn't and and I love the american pie movies um i i you know and part of the reason i love those movies is because the characters are very likable they're good people they're inherently good people they just get mm-hmm. into these silly raunchy situations that's fine this movie isn't American Pie. It's not no. meant to be raunchy. It's meant to be a little more slice of life about this 17-year-old girl who's just trying to cope with so many things going on in her life. Yeah. And Haley Steinfeld plays this role like magnificently. I know. She was incredible yeah. in this film. Honestly, a big reason I wanted to see it was because of Haley Steinfeld. I love her. I love um she's such a phenomenal actress and mm-hmm. I honestly thought she'd kill it. Even in the, the trailers you watched us, you're like, this is gonna be hysterical and it really lived up to the expectations. Sometimes you watch a trailer, it has all of the good scenes and you're sure. like, This movie was whatever. This movie was phenomenal and Haley was incredible. Yeah, she was. And and I really, you know, if I was part of the academy, if I had my way, like this is no, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Really, I, just, I really think that this is a performance from. that that should be taken seriously, and totally. not to, just because it's again. What kills it is it's a teen comedy, okay? And maybe people won't look at her performance because of let's. I'm going to call it a stigma, but comedy should not be dismissed when it comes time for 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 nominations regardless totally because if you can carry off number one not only does she carry off the comedy but she carries off let's say the drama she carries off whatever the sensitivity is and you don't hate her the character could have been really not likable Mm -hmm. but because of how she did her dialogue and how she interacted with her other actors Definitely. I mean, she was fantastic. And that's why I believe, too, I think this is a nominatable I completely agree. And I think if people go into it knowing that it is very coming of age and try to get a different get a different perspective on there, just take... 
completely throw away any thoughts you've had on what the, what a team drama, team uh, comedy drama could be, and just with an open mind go into this movie and see it for what it is mm-hmm. because it is incredible. But yeah. if you go in with with expectations of other teen comedies or other and really any other movie, um, then I think you, you you won't really fully appreciate it for what what this movie is. Yeah, and and the other thing too that the Academy loves to do, like they'll 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 nominate people who play somebody else. Like they'll they'll nominate people in you know biopics, or biopics, and you know because they play another character and they 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 disappear into that character. Well, that's all well and good, but this is an original, fresh character um, that you know. Sure, you might be able to make reference to some other older movies, but yet it's an original, fresh character that she disappears into, and that I buy like. When I got out of that movie, I remembered the name Nadine. I didn't think Haley Steinfeld. I thought no. Nadine. I look at her there, and it's Nadine. And when you find a supporting, then it's all about well, let's how do we got to find a supporting cast yeah. who can work up again? You know, they got to be able to riff off of her. Mm-hmm. And when you have like Haley Lou Richardson, um, it was cast as Krista. Yeah, you know. Their their challenge was finding an actress who could go toe to toe with Haley, and I think they found one in her as well. I mean, I completely agree. And, she was great. And, and outside of Haley, Woody Harrelson, Kira Sedgwick, to a point too, um, it was very fascinating. Again, you know, this isn't a movie that's driven by star power, mm-hmm. so that's another thing that does not take away from this movie. Because you're able to see the actors and the and their characters. Mm-hmm. Even though Woody Harrelson's in it, again, I bought him as Mr. Booner. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. I was completely... Honestly, I was not paying attention to who these actors were during the movie. I became so emotionally invested while watching this movie and taking this journey with Nadine. I do think it would be funny, though, if... Uh, if it was from Krista's perspective, for instance, I think I would hate Nadine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. But because we got to see it from Nadine's perspective, because we got to go through every problem in her life and be there for her, by the end of this movie, I mean, you went through her journey with her, and it was Absolutely. It's so great. You're, I was I was affected by this right. movie a lot. And, and imagine, you know, because I was thinking, too, like, geez, if it was about the two of them, then who am I watching? Yeah. And for, again, I think through writer-director Kelly, that... Kelly Furman Craig, um, that through her research, what she found, narrowing it down, yes, she still has her best friend. Mm -hmm. And the best friend gets fed up with her, too. Yeah. You know? But still, in her best friend's heart, is like, hey, can I call you today? Let's like, like, she still wanted, she still loved her, even though she was a jerk. I know. She still, like, loved her. She never meant to hurt her. Um, and I thought that that actress did a really, really, again, you have to, you don't want to get overshadowed by by, by the performance of, of Haley. Yeah. But you you have to make a mark in a sense. You have to be there. To, and, and so for me, I buy that they're, these characters are best friends. Mm-hmm. And you could see that it's sort of, it, it, they're torn apart. It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, one's angry. The other one's just sort of kind of sad about it. Yeah. 
But I love that they didn't just make that the movie. However, I will say, I will say, it could be another movie where they just do what would happen if your best friend started dating your uh, brother. But that's not what this movie was. And I'm really happy that they didn't go in that direction because what it came to be is far better than that. Absolutely. And again, and, and I think that's why this, yes, we could have taken, we could have taken any one of these subplots, the sexting subplot, could have come out of an American part. Like, that could have been a focus of, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And the rest of the day is, oh, my God, I go to avoid or do what's, what's happening. Not that, but it's in there. The yeah. thing with the brother, you know, oh, my God, my best friend. Like, that. I, that's the trailer. My best friend is going out with my, my bohunk brother. Yeah. And this is how I have to deal with it. And that could have been the movie. It's not the movie. Yeah, even with Irwin. We right. see Irwin. It's not about this guy who she wasn't interested in in the beginning, but then all of a sudden she is at the end. I mean, he was a big part in it because he was one of her uh, first like interpersonal relationships that we really see right. in this film, and that was really great watching their dynamic. Again, so real. I'm not going to stress that enough because it was so great, that awkward scene when they are on the Ferris wheel and right. he tries to kiss her and she backs away and instead of any other movie then going to the next clip, they show that awkwardness of him wanting to get off, her laughing and then they get, they go play mini golf after. Yeah. Because in reality, if something like that, like something so awkward like that happens, whether you are the rejector or the rejectee, you have to then deal with the ramifications of those actions right. and either and spend more time together or go your separate ways and say that awkward goodbye. And I love that they just, that storyline continued. It didn't just end because he tried to kiss her and she rejected him. We got to really uh, sink in the awkwardness and experience that. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's, it's one of the charms of the film but I also felt too like from from you know, he's he's the right guy for her. Like throughout the beginning, you know, and it was like, okay, how are how are they gonna do this? Like, are they going to go the pretty in pink way where, you know, they, they you know, is she gonna go with Ducky? Like he could have been Ducky. Like he could have <laughs> just been like the best friend that never gets the date or whatever yeah. and she goes off with a good looking rich guy. Mm-hmm. Uh or is or or are they gonna go with the original ending and, and she goes with Ducky. And and he was such a good fit for her that I would have really been disappointed had she not ended up with him and gone to that film uh that film festival uh to see that and you know, it was a it was a really touching moment, and that she, the, the, the flowers that you know, yeah, she, that was you cute. know, it it worked. Their relationship worked, and again, it just goes into the it goes into the awkwardness of her not quite understanding. If I say something like, "There's that scene in the pool," and she says, "Hey, do you want to let's 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 go to your bedroom and have yeah. sex?" and he goes, "Okay." She goes, no, I'm just kidding. And again, from the guy's perspective, like she she doesn't understand the weight of the words that that come out of her mouth. I mean, oh, one hundred percent. That's a, that's a very yeah. uh, big theme in this movie yeah. is that she doesn't understand that her words can affect people. But what the great yeah. part about Mr. Bruner 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 Oh my gosh, Bruner. that name. Um, but the best part about him was that. <laughs> He like took it. He did take it with a grain of salt. Whatever she said to him, he was not affected by. If he was a different character who was more insecure about himself, who actually took these things to heart, this would be a completely different story. Absolutely, and you know, it's 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 interesting going back to Irwin, who's played by um, 
uh, a gentleman by the name of Hayden Zito. I hope I pronounce his, his last name correctly. Um, the, basically, he was one of the first people they cast. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually cast Hayden uh, before anybody else. Literally, he was cast before we even had money for the movie because we liked him so much. Uh, and, 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 and they actually thought that he was going to be the hardest to cast. But I think the guy that they, you know, because he, too, in his own way, was a little bit awkward. Oh, he was so awkward. And 100%. Again, but, like, so about likable. Being rich. About being rich, about having <coughs> issues with me. his parents, about uh, just how he can uh, take what... Hey, uh, sorry, Haley. Nadine gives to him over and over again. Take all the awkward moments, all of the rejections, and still pursue her. And in such a quirky, cute way, I like in the beginning of the film, I was kind of like, whatever about him. I thought he was sweet. I thought uh-huh. he was someone I'd enjoy to watch on screen. But like by the end of it, I really loved his character. Right. Yeah. No, I did too. And and I want to go back to because we have to. I have to talk. I think we should talk a little bit more about Blake Jenner. Hmm. Because, again, Blake Jenner, to me, reminds reminds me of he is the good-looking guy in a John Hughes movie that the Molly Ringwald character would try to get. Like, yeah. he's a good, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. He was a guy. really good-looking guy. And, um, but, again, he didn't come off, like, again, this is a role where he could have come off as being way overconfident. He you, you would have come off disliking him. We only, at, to your point, we only really sort of dislike him because we're seeing him through Nadine's eyes. But had he acted obnoxiously, you know, and if he played the stereotypical jock. Yeah. You really, again, another character that you, you at the end of the movie, even though there would have been that, that reveal, you still might not have liked him because he was obnoxious. Mm-hmm. But the way that he was played... I thought was he did a really good job. And oh, he did a great job. Yeah, that I monologue. Agree. That yeah. monologue. He. Oh my gosh, the way he spoke, the way he almost started crying, the way his his voice was shaking. Mm-hmm. I think he did such an amazing job on that, and that was the most important moment for that character for for the whole film. Absolutely. And I, I just <clears throat> loved his character. And I, I do love, just another thing I love about this movie, is that if I went, the reason why I think uh, us as just viewers went into this film thinking, okay, maybe he is kind of like, like a, like a, just kind of a jerk. Like we watched him when she said, stay away from my friends, and he made like that like friends joke. We're like, yeah, we hate you. But in any other film, if that's how a character was introduced, uh-huh. they're, I mean, that's who they are. You're like the villain. That's yep. Yeah. You're like, well, we don't like you. You're the annoying douchey brother. But then, right. as this film went on, we learned not to just trust Nadine's perspective to get our own perspective on yeah. these characters from what we see, and it, they just do such a remarkable job introducing yeah. them. Yeah, they they really did. And um, you know, another just clever way that 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 Kelly in her writing, you know, the way that this script unfolds. I, I found uh, something else that. I found very interesting is that uh, the director um, uh, brought on, believe it or not, she brought on uh, this, who's a, apparently is a legendary acting coach, Larry Moss. Uh, she brought him onto the set to, 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 to coach through and work with these actors um, on set. Now, not necessarily that they had to work with, Woody Harrelson, mm-hmm. but to work with Haley, to work with Jake, to to work with these people 
And that to me, I've never heard of that before. You know, if I don't know if a director brings on an acting coach as a consultant, I, I would just figure that there would be a freaking riot on set. Yeah. Going, Why you don't think I? You know, but in this case, you know, it's a collaborative effort, mm-hmm. and and the fact that. We we do have a young cast, and, and, and yeah. Haley Steinfeld is is an Oscar nominated actress already. Okay, I know. so it's not that she can't act, but I do appreciate. It's like, look, we want to we want to make sure that the performances are are spot on, and if it means a minor change here or there, I and, and it makes that much of a difference. And these they are still young. Um, I just really appreciate that this became this collaborative effort and they wanted to work so hard in making sure the beats were done right. Yeah. Because, again, the dialogue between student and teacher, if it ain't funny and it ain't working, I don't, what the hell, I don't care. It's not, then it just comes off as sort of kind of creepy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that fine line. I mean, really, though, when he was taking her to his house, there, that is such a fine line. If you just heard, oh, and then in a part of the movie, his he, the teacher took his favorite student back to his house because she was having problems at home. How does that sound? Right. However, because of how we know their dynamic... And we, we, we feel like we know this teacher. Absolutely. We feel like we can trust this teacher. We didn't think twice about it. We're no. like, that's so good that she went to him. Yeah. And I love, because in, in so many films, that would be so hard to do. We'd still be like, he's creepy, but he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he wasn't at all. And he was very sympathetic to the cause. And we knew this. We knew this, that he, he was somebody who actually did listen to her. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he could throw the barbs back because... He knew that's the only way that she would listen mm-hmm. is is not be, oh, okay, sweetie, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. It was like, ah, I'm going to insult you. You know, it's like, you know, geez, I'm, yeah, I'm writing my own suicide note because I'm sick and tired of, I've had it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and the other great thing too that I think, and again, I just think this all shows on film, is they um, did intense rehearsal. They did a lot of table reads. Um to prepare for scenes and and you know a lot of you you don't you don't hear of it happening often as often as it, say it may have used to but again I think that to great testament again to to the director and producer James L. Brooks it's like yeah we're gonna put these young people together they're mixing in with you know older cast you know we have to make sure let let's rehearse this and then this way we could see what needs fixing so when we go to film when we go to film yeah maybe we maybe we have to film the scene a couple of times but we fine tune this and we can fine tune the rapport and we see where improvisation works maybe where it doesn't work i i really think that that acting coach you know heavy rehearsal mm-hmm. You know, and, and the older people had to show Kira Cedric and Woody Harrelson had to show up to these two, so it wasn't like they were immune. Like no, yeah. there were no egos coming into the set. You know, I I, I just thought it, it shows. Oh, it shows. It in definitely this movie. shows. I completely agree with that. So, um, and and you know, it's it, again, it just goes to the to the strength of. James L. Brooks noticing a first-time director and giving this woman a shot, you know, and giving four years to let this project gestate. And then 
having the confidence and her taking these reins and earning the respect and the confidence of somebody mm-hmm. like James L. Brooks who knows what the hell he's doing. Yeah. You know, it, it it's a testament to the, the collaborative effort that it took to make this movie and to get it up on screen. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that the principal photography on this started uh, on October 21st in 2015. Uh, and they did all of their shooting was up in Canada, Vancouver. Oh. Yeah, it was a multitude uh, practical locations around Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, to create the Pacific Northwest location called Point View, Oregon. Um, you know, and I was wondering, is this uh, Kelly's, you know, Shermer High, you know, Chicago, her, you know, the fictitious yeah. uh, Chicago place. So and then uh, and they were done. Catch this. They started in October, I believe it was at 20, October 21, 2015. Yeah. It wrapped, principal photography wrapped on December 2nd, 2015. <clears throat> so we're talking a month and, I don't know, what's my math? Is that a month and a half? Month maybe? and a half. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Not to, you know, I, I think, and again, when you have rehearsal, when you have all these pieces fitting yeah, together, it, it helps with your efficiency. Quicker. Jeez, I you would know. not have thought that that movie took that that's oh yeah, my gosh that half. was quick yeah really quick turnaround really quick turn- and then and then you got to think about it, it so four years for working out the script mm-hmm. you start in october you're releasing the movie it takes from from the time you start filming to the time it gets edited scored finished uh, we're talking a little over a year talking uh November, uh, yeah, we're we're talking just just yes. a little over a year because it was released uh, on what the eighteenth, uh, wow. you know, of November, and they started in October. That's a pretty fast turnaround. Yeah, that's a pretty quick and turnaround, especially for this <clears throat> being the finished product. It's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and they worked on a they worked on a nine million dollar budget, uh, which you know, for this movie, um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a nine million dollar movie. I mean. We're not looking at, <coughs> oh, forgive me. We're not looking at great special effects here or anything. You know, it was a, a relatively quick shoot. Yeah. So very small budget. Uh, they used places all around uh, Vancouver and British uh, Columbia. The, 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 the school I thought was funny is that they actually used an actual secondary school in Surrey, British Columbia, which played for Lakewood High School. Oh. <clears throat> so it was an actual school, and there were times where they were filming outside of the school, and the bells would ring, and the, the actual students would be coming <laughs> running out. And uh, But they were around, like, real, like, teenagers and stuff, and I just find <laughs> that that was, you know, that's really funny to yeah, actually be that. using that. So... Yeah, they selected about 20 locations in lower mainland to greater Vancouver. So they were all over the place. Um, and and um, I was trying to find... Oh, I found something. Irwin's Mansion. Um, oh, yeah. What was, to, where was that? Uh, Irwin, uh, let's see. Mr. Bruner's Modest Home was in Crookaton. Other memorable nights of filming took place at Playland of PNE Fairground, as, as well as Veneer Park. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. There's a scene. Um, oh well, I don't have the exact location, but I can tell you that that mansion, that swimming pool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, 
Irwin's, uh, so they go swimming and Hayden's not a strong swimmer and it was freezing at night. So they're, oh, we were product... actually, I was talking uh, about that <clears throat> too. Uh, my friend who I watched it with, we were like, that must have been freezing with all that like steam. I'm like, yeah. it's probably ice cold. There, that was their biggest thing. Um, they had the camera in the water, you know, he, he couldn't even do a cannonball. <laughs> really, just oh. jumped at the, they wanted to get the underwater shot, so he just like jumped in the water. So they kept the they 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 say that they kept the pool at around a comfortable ninety degrees, hence the steam. And they said that that was probably their biggest problem is like they had to try to they didn't want it to be too steamy, foggy. Yeah. But I, it's funny that okay, so not only was he not a strong swimmer, but the other coldest night that they had to film on. It was the night of the Ferris wheel scene. And he not only is a, not a strong swimmer, but he's afraid of heights. Oh, my God. I am, too, though. <laughs> and so I completely understand where that's coming so, from. I've only gone on one Ferris wheel in my life, and it was very small. Yeah. He's like... That poor kid. And they, had, and they filmed, like, four hours. And on like, there over and yeah. over again. I couldn't imagine. Oh yeah, my and he's like... Um, yeah, he just said, yeah, it's okay. I'll use it. Which he did because that scene of awkwardness was yeah. just purely out of perfect. That was a perfect scene with someone fair, awkward with a fear off. of heights. Just makes it easier. It's an acting exercise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I really, um, you know, I really appreciated that. I just find that that is very funny. Yeah, um, and it's how you know, hey, he, he used it, and he's like, yeah, I never have to get on that thing again. So. Um, but just like cool little tidbits about filming, you know, again, in, in Vancouver, in Canada, it's, it's, you know, Canada is used and has been being used, you know, for movies and te- particularly television. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, the setting was just perfect. Mm-hmm. Like they could have just, they could have said any town USA or whatever. And I would have yeah. been, I would have been fine with it. I thought that uh, because I believe the original script too. Um, had the movie filming in in Orange County uh, here in California, but it was oh. way too expansive. Yeah, and, well, I like um, I like that yeah, they shot in Vancouver. I absolutely. think it looked perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit too. The other was, which I think is very important in this movie, was costuming. Yes. Her 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 her. You know her clothes. Everybody's. You know everybody in the cast. Um, it, you know, obviously in any movie, a costumer has to, it's all about the individual character. Like, what's this character wear? But it, it's, it also can be symbolic depending on the colors. And I think with, with Nadine, her costume just said it all. Oh as my gosh, as... yeah. She was so <clears throat> quirky. You could see it just in her um just in her everyday outfits, which I love because if you were any other student there that didn't know Nadine, you would get that just from her outfits, Absolutely. but you would have never spoken to her to really know that. I also love in this film that they did not go crazy at all with makeup. Sure. There's not I mean, truthfully, there there I don't think she was I mean, I, I think that's what they're going for, is like the no makeup. Look for Nadine, and they and I'm so happy that they made that choice because when we're 17, we don't really know how to do our makeup. Some people uh, don't know how to do their makeup when they try, and then there's people who just don't use makeup at all. And I love that they made that choice with Nadine. Yeah, I was the non-makeup user. <laughs> were you? <laughs> yeah. So I, I loved, I loved that, and uh, they just they did such a great job because Nadine, her character, I wouldn't have believed it as much as if she went like if she was an expert in makeup or like right. went all dolled up for that date. The dates even, like, well, the 
the date with that right. guy that was a hookup. She got ready. She got cute, uh, cute outfit yeah. on the whole <clears throat> trying to find outfit, making a mess while doing so. But she's not like all of a sudden all glammed up. Right. It was just so right again real. Yeah, and 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 costume designer Carla Hetland. Um, you know, the filmmaker spent a lot of time in personal details of Natalie's world. Yeah. And, you know, close say a ton about character. And this is from, you know, Kelly Furman Craig waking up in the morning and going through my closet and saying, I feel this way, so I'm going to wear that. Yeah. And I think that they did, I think they captured the costuming fine with each of the kids. And it said something about, you know, every single one and how style was important. And, I also, like, her outdoor jacket was actually a topic of heavy conversation as to what they, how, how they were going to make that look. And they were like, you know, it, it became a, a character, a fashion statement. And that they actually made the incredible thing that happened with Carla, Kelly, and Haley. They got how a girl feels like when she doesn't fit in and who doesn't necessarily want to fit in. Who doesn't necessarily care about fashion, but has an eye and would dress. And Haley wouldn't come in and the clothes would sing or they wouldn't because Haley was bringing Nadine moves in the clothes. And there were so many conversations about the jacket. Uh, it was daunting because it was almost becoming like a Fonzie thing where, where, where the jacket was becoming a character. Yeah. So Kelly ordered a ski jacket online and it didn't work. So a seamstress uh, 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 sewed in the fur. And, oh. and and they had a real idea where the pockets would be and when, you know, Nadine really started to be born. And as soon as they said, Haley, put that jacket on, they went, yes, now we have Nadine. So it's just really interesting to me that, A, it's sort of a jacket you could buy to the store if if you like that sort of thing. But yeah. it's not because they had to modify it yeah. to, to fit the character. Fit the character. And the, you know, what, what do I know about fashion? Nothing. But the jacket, you know, when I was reading about this, I said, okay, yeah, because that jacket would, if that jacket were in anybody else, probably wouldn't buy it. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I love that the we saw the jacket <clears throat> over and over again. I yeah. love I, I remember that jacket because of how often we got to see it in, in the movie. It really it was a it was a big it was a big part of the movie. I also love the um the buck sweater. Yes. That one was very memorable. I I loved that choice. I felt it was very Nadine. Um, and like, where do you buy that? Where do you find a buck sweater? I I just that like completely got my attention. Yeah, when I saw that. I couldn't stop. I couldn't look away. Yeah, uh, it, it agreed. So I want to move. Uh, let's let's talk. Uh, I want to go from costumes and spend at least a, a few minutes on on the music in this movie because mm-hmm. I found this movie to be it was a fascinating mix. Because there were some of it that actually took me back to like the late 80s or 80s, 90s. But then it would go into something of today. It's just like the movie. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Well, but I liked that mix. It wasn't, you know, number one, this movie wasn't pushing a soundtrack on me. Like it wasn't pushing, you know, the music was good. The music never overshadowed what was happening. It was good source music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was even a point in the movie where, where, where the music was part of the plot. Like, oh, uh, they're one of my favorite when, when she's on the hookup date in the car. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is one of my favorite songs or whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, who is it? Goes, I don't know. You yeah. Know, 
And then she so, asks again at the end, "Who was it?" Oh, I'll just I'll just Google it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll just Google it. And but yet it's his favorite song. Yeah, he's the worst. So I, I just liked how the music played in this in the in this wave where we would throw back. It seemed, and then we're playing what what appeared to me, anyways, to be current, either rock or pop, and it really fit this movie perfectly. Perfectly, honestly, perfectly. I wouldn't have chosen a better soundtrack. Yeah. I think they did such a great job. Um, I I I loved it. Like yeah. the music was not, and I love that you brought this up. It was not distracting. It did not take away no. from the film at all. I remember songs because I remember moments of, oh yeah, this is a good song. I love the song Trouble. Or I remember being like, oh my gosh, nineteen seventy five. But then it was right back to the film. It, I did not get distracted by the music. Mm-hmm. The music always fit the the scene or what was going on perfectly. And then overall, it's like the it was the perfect soundtrack for this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you know, if you are going to make the John Hughes comparison or even even the Fast Times at Ridgemont High, John Hughes started his own record label, okay? Because he loved music and put music, you yeah. know, indie music that not was that that wasn't being played on the radio, mm-hmm. and he purposely did that so that it wouldn't distract, but yet it would be core to the characters because this would be the music that the kids were listening to today. And I felt that this is what Nadine would have, you know, streaming. Yeah, totally. And and like this would be part of her playlist and and the other characters, her friends and the other characters around her. So I really found that the music uh, in this movie um, played to the characters um, and and I and I didn't find it uh, I didn't find it annoying and it wasn't pushing a soundtrack on me. I agree. So I found that to be very uh, fascinating as well. So now I want to talk a little bit about let's segue over into reception of this movie. Uh, as I said a little bit earlier, nine million dollar budget. <clears throat> okay, um, it was it was distributed by a relatively uh, new company on the scene called STX. Mm-hmm. Um, and to their credit, they are, they, they, they are trying, they're, they're, they're doing their best. They're, they're releasing edgier kind of movies. Like their hits have been movies like The Gift, which starred Jason Bateman. I saw um, that. They, it, 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 earlier this summer, their biggest movie to date was the movie Bad Moms, which, which I really enjoyed too. And it's a fun movie about adult actresses, you know, and, and, and it was a really funny movie. They've had some, to be fair, there have been some hits and misses with STX, yeah. but they're at least trying, and, and I can respect them, you know, picking up uh, an Edge of 17. Now, yeah. I have to, so the production budget's like $9 million. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, uh, I would have, well, I want to talk marketing, but I have to factor in that if their production budget's at $9 million with their hard drives, meaning their prints, uh, their advertising, which would mean their television advertising, online advertising, and whatnot, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm estimating, I'm using an average, probably around $25 million all in. So yeah. that's, including, that's including production budget, and that's including our marketing and, and hard drives and, mm-hmm. and distributing the movie. From a marketing standpoint... I gotta say, where was it? I found stuff online. Great. I really, I rarely, if I can't recall seeing a whole hell of a lot in my local theater. 
Like, I couldn't, I didn't see a trailer for I this. I didn't see any in the theater. For me, it was <clears throat> all on YouTube, which, again, is smart marketing because everyone's on YouTube. Um, but as for uh, other places, I mean, the thing is, I'm a YouTube junkie. I love my YouTube videos. I will sure. binge watch YouTube videos. So, of course, every few videos I get a, um, an advertisement or a trailer. And I did. I saw that because of watching YouTube. However, beyond that, I didn't see much of this film. Yeah, I, I mean, I had heard of the film of Reputation and, and going into it, and I had heard that it was that it was actually getting high praise. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen through various like movie websites. Yeah, uh, I don't watch YouTube um, outside of you know keeping tabs on our shows yeah. and, and such, but I, I, I do I do go into a lot of movie websites for for um, researching and. I saw, you know, they they put up the red band. <clears throat> Pardon me. So because this is, you know, the internet is a way that you can get a red band trailer. You could see a red band trailer. Yeah. But most surprisingly, though, with the amount of movies that I go to, mm-hmm. I, I it would have sort of maybe maybe I'm just not going to the right ones. But again, <laughs> I'm playing I'm playing law of averages. I see a lot of movies. Yeah. I don't recall seeing a movie for Edge of Seventeen. And that makes me sad because to an extent that means that the exhibitors, because they they won't give this movie like it's due on the appropriate film. It's our rating is sort of a hindrance when it comes to placing a trailer because you could only place it on R-rated movies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. So, you know. I don't know if this. I don't recall seeing the trailer. I did on Bad Moms, but there were some other. It definitely wasn't on Neighbors Two, or there were some R-rated movies that they could have gotten this trailer up on. Yeah. I guess. It, to me, I, I don't know. Maybe it was an uphill battle to get this trailer up on screen. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this: I went to a movie this weekend, and I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like name studio names like Warner Brothers or. Disney yeah. or something like that, but the movie I saw had three of one company's trailer on this movie that was not that one company. So they had three trailers on a feature, on a competitive feature, and I'm like, okay, what the hell? Like, that's three slots that went to one company. You could have maybe promoted a smaller movie from maybe a smaller company that had something that would have fit there too. <clears throat> Pardon me. And it made me think of this movie. Yeah. Because how do you get your captive audience? Trailers are still important. Oh, they're a, in a theater. very important. <clears throat> like there are reasons. I will not see certain movies because the trailer won't, if the trailer doesn't appeal to me, regardless of the storyline, if I, if I like search it up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, the storyline storyline sounds great. If I don't like the trailer, I most times will not go see the movie. Yeah. And, and when you're in a movie theater, you're playing to a captive audience. You Mm -hmm. can't hit the pause button. You can't hit close. Yeah. (laughs) You're watching it. And this is a movie that I think, was worthy of seeing some semblance of in-theater marketing. I may have seen a poster, um, but it was just sort of kind of shocking to me so that when they were saying they had projections, that tracking said that this movie was going to do eight to nine million, I was a little bit shocked. I was like, 
wow, that's that that's that's high. When in fact, um, the movie ended up doing in its opening weekend um, four point seven. So oh. it came in at number seven. Now, granted, it was on less than two thousand locations across the country. Which really, yeah, less than two thousand one thousand nine hundred and forty-five to be exact. Um, and when you are going up against, you know, like a Fantastic Beasts, which is on three to four thousand locations, it's sort of kind of rough. Um, but it, it made four point seven million in its opening weekend. And I got to say, well, okay, that's because there was no marketing on this movie. There was nothing. I saw television ads. <clears throat> but even with that, it's like you you can't really get the feel of this film. But a good solid trailer seen on the appropriate film would be this looks like a funny movie. Now, would it have made all the difference in the world? That's very hard to tell, but... You know, I think it you, definitely would have helped. That's it would have helped. That's where it a lot of people helped. get ideas for what they want to see next <clears> and <throat> then research it further. When you're in a movie theater, you clearly love seeing movies and you want to see films that are somewhat like the film that you had interested in right. that you went to go see. Then you see a trailer of a movie you like, you're going to look for that movie. You'll remember that movie. However, the advertising just... On the TV, when it's during commercial break, you're not really paying attention as much. Like I go, I love going to the movies for the trailers. I love trailers, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I'm surprised that they didn't have. Yeah, this up. It, 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 yeah. Well, I, they I probably have in some movies. I, but pr- what no, movies? I'm sure, but they weren't on the movies that I went that I had gone to see. You know, say within the past two months. So I just found that very interesting. And thus far, uh, grosses through Monday, you know, the pictures made $5.2 million. We're talking about a, a nine production budget. We're talking about 20 to 25 all in. You know, the, 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 I don't know where, you know, they're, they're, they're calling it a, you know, they can call it that they're calling it a failure, that, that, that it tanked. And... To me, it's 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 unfair. Like this is the kind of movie that should have been given more of a shot. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it just sort of kind of bums me out um, because okay, so this is the other thing. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, ninety five percent. So well deserved. For, I I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Ninety five percent for a teen coming of age movie that th- those can be hard to come by because mm-hmm. we've seen so many that suck. Okay. Oh yeah. Now here's the now here's the thing. What what at least what I've been noticing in recent weeks is that there's usually this huge disparity from critics. Let's say you know Rotten Tomatoes, and then from there's something Cinema Score, the audience reaction. Sometimes it'll go like the critics will give a movie ninety five percent when they're all pulled, and the audience will give it a, like a B minus, mm-hmm. okay, which is totally against what the critics give it. Or sometimes a critics will give the movie, you know, all in the polls come into thirty two percent, and then the audience gives the movie an A. Yeah. So there's a disparity between audience critic. In this case, the cinema score was an A minus. So. The group of people, the small group of people that went in to see this movie, which included you and I, yeah, love this movie. Loved which it. Which means that a. there's great word of mouth. <clears throat> and what bothers me is, let's say the movie had done eight to nine million dollars. Mm-hmm. 
again, that's four and a half more than four and a half. And that could have perpetuated the studio to maybe throw in some more money to support it in its second week. I mean, we're going into a very huge holiday weekend here. And, you know, we already have at least two huge movies that are in the marketplace. Um, and we're we're about to release a huge animated movie. Yeah. Moana is coming out. Yeah, Thanksgiving. So, yeah, and, and, and we have, you know, it just... The other thing that makes me wonder is, did they pick the right release date for this? Like, would it, would this have been better served, say, around Labor Day? Like, towards the end of summer, where you can might be able to sneak in a, a small little indie film? Or, you know, I mean, <coughs> again, excuse me, I, I get they probably wanted a counter-program against Fantastic Beasts, but I, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's it's unfortunate to me. Yeah, no, that, I agree. Because the reception of this movie is solid all around. Yeah. Audiences are liking it. Uh, if you're watching us, that means you saw the movie because we, if you didn't, then we pretty much spoiled it for you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but you like the movie. You've probably told your friends about this movie. I know I did. Oh, yeah, me too. I couldn't stop talking, you know. I was about, so like, impressed how, by yeah. this film. I'm surprised that <clears throat> it didn't do... Well, then again, though, I'm, I'm not as surprised if they... It's all. It really, truly is all about marketing. If you don't market... Uh, the film in the right way. If you don't market the film in enough places, where it's all pretty much going to come down to word of mouth. If people find, see the trailer on YouTube, want to spread the word, or happen to actually listen to the commercial on TV, that's what it comes down to. Because this film is great, and if enough people know and hear about that, in, yeah. and and are hearing what everyone else is saying that has seen it, then it's going to get a lot more views and a lot more good reviews yeah no agreed and i can just only imagine the weekend of the executives at xtx they're just probably already like saying okay what are we gonna do like you know we got this coming out and you know the only the only advice you know from my from my distribution experience that i have is you gotta stick you try to gotta stick you gotta stick with it through through out like you know, through Thanksgiving. Totally. But you got to promote it. You got to get it out there. It. You got to remember, like, if you're on 1900 screens, there's a there's a there's a chance they might be losing screens a little bit or, or some because of the movies that are opening up for Thanksgiving. They wouldn't want that to happen. It's just you support this film because you've got a brand new voice in the directorial scene. Great performances all around. It's fresh, it, it's real, it's a, it's a fresh take, and it really means, it's a movie that can mean a lot for for for, for you, means different things for me, yeah. but, in, but the whole ride at, the, at, at its core too, it's entertaining. It's so entertaining. It's You'll, so entertaining. No matter who you are, you will enjoy this movie. Yeah, it will speak to you in some way. I agree. So, yeah, a little bit disappointed in, in the reception of the movie for, from audiences, you know, it's it's one of those things, and you're watching, so you know, you know there there are other movies that you've already seen. Doctor Strange, okay, go go see this movie. Go see this movie. You know, you've probably seen Fantastic Beasts. Go see this movie. Take you know, you, you teen. Well, they might not be able to get into the movie because of its R rating, but you know, I know that we live in a different world. You know, R rated movies were not 
necessarily taboo in their day. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Breakfast Club. Now, granted, they didn't have the release patterns that this was having, but, you know, I, I think as time goes on, this movie, like, when it comes to, like, Apple movies and when it comes to streaming and when it's on, on home entertainment, I think people are going to find it then because they've heard about it and, you know... But I would like to see it in its primary market because it was a fun movie, too, to see on a big screen. Yeah. You know, with people. So uh, there we go. So I think uh, unless there's anything you want to add or what are your closing statements for let's wrap things up. Let's and, do, and what it. do you think? This so. movie was incredible. I am so happy that I went to see it. I loved everything about this film. I can't stress enough. And I'm kind of picky about films but I, I really really enjoy this film and I hope more people check it out yeah and, uh, and, and before and, and you already know my thoughts I really think it's a very smart clever movie and we have a new we have a new voice in cinema with Kelly Furman Craig I think she's fantastic can't yeah. wait to see more of her I'm movies I'm excited Renee Ariel, let me tell you, it's been a pleasure talking. Yes, thank you so uh, much for having me. Well, I, it was really a pleasure to have you here and hear your voice on on your take on this. It's fantastic, and thank you so much for the for, for the for the backup. Um, please again tell tell audiences where they can find you and support you on social media. Absolutely, hey guys, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Renee Ariel, and you can support me on Twitter. At DMovies1701. Thank you all. Uh, keep on tuning into Anatomy of a Movie. Like we have, there's still more movies to come this holiday season, including Woo! Moana, as Moana. we talked about, <laughs> Passengers, uh, this little independent film called Rogue One. So we, we got tons to talk about going into the. We can stuff ourselves with turkey and we'll be stuffing our eyeballs with movies. Stay tuned. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in and watching. So long, folks. and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.